it's just me by myself today. Uh, I have a few podcasts in the pipeline with me and a guest, uh, specifically me and the other Will. And, you know, I, we have a ton of stuff recorded and all set up for other episodes. But today I was just feeling it for a solo podcast. It's been a while since I've done this, uh, mainly because I love talking to other people so much that it's just been awesome and I finally, well, I'm lonely today. I'm lonely and thought it'd be fun to talk about my favorite movies of all time. So today, we're going to be talking about Blade Runner. Well, Blade Runner, the original, and Blade Runner 2049, the sequel that just came out in 2017. So both of these are some of my favorite, if not my favorite movies. And Blade Runner 2049 is like, hey guys, you want a sequel? Here's a sequel. This is how it's done. It, it doesn't try to be a sequel and you can understand it if you haven't seen the original but it's just so good by the way in the background you'll hear the blade runner soundtrack by evangelis uh this is the esper edition hopefully it doesn't get too loud that it's annoying but uh i'll just lower the volume a little bit just in case it does but anyways the esper edition takes out the dialogue and adds a bunch of other really cool um thingamajigs so anyways Let's get started. Uh, we'll talk about both these movies. Spoilers, if you haven't seen either of them, and if you haven't, what's wrong with you? Are you insane? You need to go watch these right now. I recommend the final cut for the original Blade Runner movie. Uh, do not watch the theatrical cut. It's not bad, but the studio meddled with it heavily and changed the vision and definitely lessens the impact. Definitely, uh, if you want to watch the new one, there's really only one cut, one cut of the new one. It's two, hour, two hours and 45 minutes, I think. It's uh, really good, and you do not feel bored at all. Well, I didn't, although I've met people who say they did feel bored because, you know, they can't handle the genius of Blade Runner, which is something pretentious to say, and I'm kidding. Not everyone is prepared for this type of movie. Not to say you're not smart. They could be very smart people who just don't like this. Anyways, let's get into it if I haven't alienated everyone by judging them. So today we're going to talk about the Blade Runner franchise. I like to think of this as rain, memories, and humanity because Rain is such a huge part of both movies, especially the first one. Uh, memories play a huge part in the second movie, and uh, the Blade Runner 2049. And actually, they play a huge part in the first movie, too, really. Then Humanity, of course, is the overarching theme. What I like about 2049 is it really takes all the ideas that the original Blade Runner touched on and kind of like expands them to something so much bigger. It's like, hey, you want to talk about humanity? Let's talk about humanity. You want to talk about memories and how they impact us? Let's let's talk about that. I think that's really cool. So humanity is a word whose definition is something society has an ever-changing grasp on. Whether a country is allowing women to drive for the first time or a bill was written that excludes transgender people from certain restrooms, humans are constantly at war with the simple meaning of their own existence. The question of what does it mean to be human is a timeless one, I think. And this deceivingly simple question has been asked by many throughout history. So definitely today we're not going to be even more close to answering this. And it's not going to be any high-minded philosophy going on here. This is just my opinion on a film franchise and the thoughts that it tries to inspire. But in the year 1982, director Ridley Scott set forth to answer that very question, what is humanity? The film was Blade Runner and it dared to explore a world in which the lines between humanity and robotics are blurred more than ever. After 35 years, the franchise would expand it upon with a sequel, Blade Runner 2049, in 2017. These two films 
present a reality in which humans, robots, and artificial intelligence seemingly have clear differences. See, the key word there is seemingly, because when you just look at it, you're like, there's a robot, there's a human. Totally different, right? Then you think about it more and more, and as the movie goes on, the movie portrays these characters in such a way, the human characters and the robot characters, and you're like, wait a second, do they have differences? In the movies, you're meant to see that there are soulless machines that are made to obey their human masters. But as it is with all great philosophical questions, there is always a deeper world beneath the surface. Who is truly without a soul? The greedy and murderous corporate CEOs or the robot whose simple, whose simple joy was to come home and be with its artificial partner? The Blade Runner films take these concepts of humanity and expand them even broader than what we could have thought before. At various points in the original Blade Runner, the protagonist Rick Deckard is confronted with evidence that goes against his idea of humanity. Now, I'm not going to be talking about it, all the theories about Rick being a replicant or anything like that. I, I just won't get into that. So as, the case, as this case is in this specific topic I'm going to be discussing today, we're going with the idea that Rick is not a human. So don't, don't judge or go off of that. For the, for the sake of this argument, Rick is not a human. So while Rick is searching Leon, who is a replicant, while he's searching his apartment, Rick finds f photographs of various events in Leon's life. In the original theatrical cut of the film, we hear Deckard's inner monologue, which observes family photos. Replicants didn't have families. Deckard and the audience are presented with the idea that these preconceived notions of a human and a replicant are not as easily defined as once thought. Later on, after Deckard shot both Leon and his replicant girlfriend, he stumbles to a liquor store to purchase a bottle of alcohol. He's trying to cope with the killing of two replicants, something which he has done numerous times before. But at this point, Rickard, uh, sorry, Rickard, Deckard is realizing that these manufactured beings are potentially more than simple machines. So fascinating. After hunting down the rest of the rogue replicants and finishing them all off but one, the leader, Deckard has come face to face with the last rogue replicant, named Roy. The replicant chases the detective throughout an abandoned apartment complex. Rushing away from the seemingly crazed robot, Deckard manages to get away, only to find himself literally hanging off the edge of a building. Roy stares down at Deckard, and at the last minute, reaches down and catches the detective, who is sent out to kill him. Both men crumple to the floor of the roof, the floor of the roof catch their breath, and the never un, beneath the never-ending downpour of rain. With his final breaths, Roy's utters the film's most infamous line, I've seen things you people would not believe. Attack ships on fire off the, or, off the shoulder of Orion. I watch sea beams glitter in the darkness at Tannhauser Gate. All these moments will be lost in time, like tears in the rain. Now, obviously, I did not do it anywhere justice as to what Rutger Hauer does in the film, so I will definitely be coming back in a moment as you can hear the original dialogue spoken by Rutger Howard, and it's just, wow. If you haven't seen the footage itself, I definitely recommend that, but of course right now I'm just gonna play you the audio of that scene. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. <laughs> Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the ten hours of gate.
All those moments will be lost in time. Like tears in rain. Time to die. Powerful stuff, man. Powerful stuff. So, were Roy or any of the other replicants human? These robots, which were created to serve mankind, broke free from their masters, only to run back to the very planet that they were created on. They were there to search for answers on their own existence. These created beings wondered why they existed, why they had to die, and how could they preserve their own memories. Those are not things that a mindless programmed robot is meant to think about. So what caused this existential crisis? This brings us to Blade Runner 2049. Director Denis Villeneuve, I'm probably mispronouncing his last name, I promise that I'm sorry. Um, he took the questions and themes presented in the original film and expanded upon them. The main character, Kay, an advanced replicant, is tasked with hunting down older replicants who have gone rogue. This film takes place about 30-something years after the original film's timeline, so a lot of the original replicants have died from their uh, manufacture dates, and they're really, anyone that are left did not have an expiration date or on the run. So this is what Kay is tasked with doing. He's a very advanced replicant that pretty much, that the film tells us, has no emotions and does not have a goal besides hunting down replicants and killing them. So there's no, he has no qualms with doing this. So this time, the original movie's plot is twisted around to show humanity from a different angle. Kay knows that he is a replicant, and he believes that whatever he is feeling must be a simple program. But as the movie progresses, he is confronted with the fact that he may, in fact, be half-human and half-replicant. When he finally accepts this, the world screeches to a halt. 2049 takes place at Kay's apartment multiple times in the film, mainly to illustrate an integral plot. Kay has a girlfriend. Now, that statement is a loaded one, as Kay's girlfriend is in a fact a holographic computer program, a program made by the same company that designed Kay and his mind himself. But even knowing that he is a replicant, even knowing that he is doing a slave's work, he still comes home, sits down, and says he loves his girlfriend. None of that was programmed. 2049 does an incredible job of throwing around the character of Joy, Kay's holographic girlfriend. The film eventually gets both Kay and the audience to believe that Joy has free will and free will is has free will and is somewhat human herself, as she is murdered by one of the film's villains. She utters in that moment, "I love you," to Kay, as she is erased from the earth. It is a heart-wrenching moment to be sure. Kay has lost the only thing that truly mattered to him. As Kay wanders the streets of Los Angeles, a giant holographic billboard speaks to him. It is, generic, it is a generic Joy model leaning down. She speaks to him the same way his own Joy did, and calls him by the same adorable name, Joe. The audience's illusion of her humanity is shattered, and then, as Thai Ong, excuse me, as the author Thai Ong writes, Kay molds Joe into what he wants her to be, but she molds him in return. They both seem to be moving beyond their programming because of their love for each other, their relationship beyond an android boy and a holographic girl, each looking to be something more. 
Kay and his holographic girlfriend really showcase the soul-searching robots of 2049. The main character of this film are both the of both of these films are computer excuse me. I can't speak right now. The main characters of this film, 2049, are both computer programs, and they both believe they have seemingly genuine emotions, and they both care for each other. What distinguishes them from one another? That is what makes one more human than the other. In the end, what distinguishes these two characters is the fact that Joy can be replaced by another program, but Kay goes against his manufacturer's commands and saves Deckard from the villains. Even when that distinction, the film tortures the viewer over the death of Kay's joy. Minutes before her hard drive is smashed, she says, if this is destroyed, all of my memories will disappear. Even earlier in the film, Joy tells Kay that she loves him, to which she replies, you don't have to say that. And she says, I know. Looking back, the audience wonders if she really did have to say that, and Kay just enjoyed the illusion of his girlfriend having somewhat free will. The same free will that he himself secretly longed for. The actual product tagline for Joy is, Everything you want to see, everything you want to hear. In the first Blade Runner, there was a blurred line between humans and replicants. 2049 says, yes, there are blurred, li there are blurred lines, but there also are beings which will never be anything more than a com computer program. Memories play a very important role in both films with Roy being afraid of losing the incredible experiences and wonders that he had witnessed in the original Blade Runner, to Kay and his implanted memories in 2049, or Joy and the destruction of her hard drive. What both of these films hammer home is that humans base their relations on significant memories that structure a person's life. Whether those memories be programmed or not, once that individual is gone, so are their memories. As Roy said at the end of the film, all those memories will be lost in time, like tears in the rain. 2049 ends on a different note, with Kay realizing he is not half-human, but 100% replicant. In the final scene of the film, Kay lies dying on the snow-covered steps of a nearly empty building and smiles, coming to the realization that even though he is a replicant, he has a soul. Kay's memories may be gone, but he truly lived a free life. Now, all these reasons and so many more why I love these movies. Because with everything I just said, there are a kajillion, billion, zillion other ways to say those things, to say different things. You could argue that Joy was more human than Kay. You could argue that Joy did have free will. And they were trying, the, the writer and director were trying to show you, hey, maybe she doesn't. See, there's another Joy. But really, they were misleading you along those lines. There are many, many, many many different ways to look at this. Like I said, this was going from the assumption that Deckard was not a replicate, but what if you twisted around and assumed he was a replicate? Then everything would play out completely different. It'd be similar to 2049, where as the film goes on, Deckard is slowly realizing maybe he himself was programmed, just like Kay is slowly realizing maybe he's a little human and has free will. It's a really interesting concept to toy with, and it really shows the dichotomy of both films. I recommend watching both of these. I've seen both of them half a dozen times each. I need to watch them over and over because they're just so great. And there's something about them that's just so beautiful. Not only the script, not only the acting, but the visuals. My God, the visuals are glorious. And it sounds like I'm just over here doing nothing but praising these movies. They're off. Uh, yes, there are flaws. There are things I did not like about both films. 
2049. I personally did not like the replicate revolution thing going on towards the end there, especially when they're like, go kill Deckard. Uh, wait a second, didn't Deckard hide the secret for so long, but now you want to kill him? That made no sense, especially when Kay did not kill Deckard. What was the point of that? I guess there's a reason that maybe I'm missing, but there are things I don't like about these movies. Still, though, the pros definitely outweigh the cons. These movies are beautifully done, the music is glorious, the acting is superb. In both films, I love everything, even Jared Leto. I could give a pass to Jared Leto because he's in Blade Runner 2049, and I actually enjoyed his performance. Although, there are some people that I've talked with, and they're like, you know, my least favorite part was Jared Leto in the movies. Okay, I'll give it to you. But for me, just because he's in this movie and he did a decent job of acting, it just fits in, so it works for me. Thank you so much, guys, for listening to my ramblings about Blade Runner 2049 and the Blade Runner movies. I love them so much. If you guys haven't heard the song Almost Human, it's the last song on the soundtrack for the Blade Runner 2049 movie, and I really, really like it. When I originally wrote a paper for Blade Runner last year for college, I re- um, I can't speak. I really wanted to include the lyrics for this, but I, I went over the word limit and could not do that. But I'll read you some of the lyrics now because I really think they fit so well with the movie itself. So here are the lyrics for Blade Runner 2049's Almost Human. By the way, it was not included in the movie. It was in the anime short that came out a few months before, which is also great, by the way. But definitely I recommend you listening to this song because I like it. And the lyrics really do fit in with both films, if not a little cheesy. So here we go. Hard untethered, I was chosen to be a victim without knowing. You see beyond all my doubt, all I'm hiding, you bring out. I lose myself to your control when you touch me. This right here, this is amazing. This could totally fit with K. K is saying, my heart was untethered and I was chosen without to be a victim without knowing. His memory implant from the memory creator was given to him without him knowing. He was a victim to all these circumstances without knowing. Then he talks about you see beyond all my doubt. He's talking to Joy. Joy sees beyond all his doubt. All that he's hiding, she brings out. I love that. Here's the chorus. I'm almost human, finally breathing. What is this feeling? Human, coming to my senses, losing my focus, taking my emotion, lost in the moment. You make me feel almost human. Right there, it says... Almost human. Kay feels almost human when he's in love with this computer program. Hint, hint. Verse 2. All I have known, I will let go. You show me a world so far from home. I am captive to your ways, and when you whisper, I am changed. I feel it flowing through my veins. And the chorus repeats. Right there. Captured so beautifully and simply what I want to say about the Blade Runner franchise. One character's journey to humanity and one character's journey to accepting replicants as human. Was Roy a human? Was Kay a human? Were they more human than the sadistic people who hunted them down and gave them life limits and spans on their lifetime? Who's to say? It's up to you, the viewer, to contemplate these things. And that's what a great movie does. It makes you think. It makes you wonder. What in the world am I supposed to do with this newfound idea? What does it mean to be human? Are they more human than human?